invite you to turn with me now in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18, and you do have a little green sheet somewhere in your bulletin uh, that shows you where we're headed over the next few weeks, both in our worship service messages and also in our Sunday school time as well. We're going to be looking at John in both areas, and so as you turn to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, it's interesting, there's many remarkable things that John says about Jesus. He tells us that Jesus is the bread of life, that through him we can have spiritual feeding. He tells us he's living water through which we can have our souls refreshed. Reminds us as well that Jesus is a good shepherd who tends his flock and even goes so far as to lay down his life for his sheep. He tells us Jesus is the resurrection, that power over death can come through him. And he tells us that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that he's the pathway to knowing God. There's many things that John tells us, and while we might be here today and wrestling with what those things mean, or perhaps are here today and wrestling with whether to believe those things, one thing we can be sure of, John was convinced. He believed these things, and he knew these things. We know that for a number of reasons. One is because a lot of his writings were put down while he was in exile, serving time on a little island for his belief in Christ. So he was persuaded. He wasn't just persuaded, but he also had a front row seat, right? He was part of the 12 uh, disciples, and even among those 12, part of three who spent some particular focused time with the Lord. So he was right there. And in fact, in John 21, 24, he says that he's bearing witness to these things and that his statements, therefore, should be taken as truth with a capital T. He says he's not saying something he made up, he's saying it's something he saw face to face. So he was convinced and he was close to the action, which might make us think, well, what's that do for me? I'm so many thousand years removed from that action, but it's interesting. Some of his concluding words in the book of John, chapter 20, verse 31, he says this, says that he wrote these things that you and I may believe in the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. That's what we want to begin to talk about today, is how we can have life in his name. So I invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. As we read together, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Uh, I'll read them aloud. It says, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him has not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Here he's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. 
the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is one of whom it is said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You may be seated. And let's pray together again. Oh, Father, we ask now that you would come and be present as we focus on your word. And we're mindful that all of us, Father, are like grass. Whatever glory we have is like the flowers of the field. Father, the grass withers and the flower fades. But not your word. It stands forever. So we pray you would come and teach us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the blockbuster movie, Saving Private Ryan, centers around the value of the life of a son. The violence and the language of the movie make it rough viewing and definitely not one for the kiddos. But after the initial scenes, it begins with a crucial decision that General Marshall has to make. The War Department is preparing three separate letters that are going to be sent to one poor woman about the death of three of her sons. And Marshall has to decide whether to send further soldiers into harm to find Private Ryan, her one remaining son. To explain his decision, General Marshall says this, reading from a letter written many years prior to a Mrs. Bixby of Boston. Dear Madam, you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the battlefield. I cannot refrain from tendering to you the thanks of the republic they died to save. I pray that our Heavenly Father will assuage your anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid such a costly sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Sincerely, Abraham Lincoln. Difficult, isn't it, to imagine a more compelling, a more noble, a more significant sacrifice than that of one's child. And some, even in our midst here, perhaps have tasted such loss. Folks, if we imagine 
the magnitude of sacrificing one so loved to us, the possibility of losing one so dear to us, the weight of sending one into harm's way, if we hold all of that in our hearts and minds, we're only beginning to taste what God the Father did in sending His precious Son into the world to live and to die for us. In fact, instead of pursuing every impulse of a parent to hold back, to protect, to keep, God the Father sends, He gives, He pours out His Son for us. And these verses at the beginning of John remind us of that. The main thing John wants to get into our minds, and if you like to take notes, there's some place on the back of your bulletin that you can do that, is this. God sent His divine Son, and so we should find our life in Him. How do we see Jesus displayed in these verses as God's divine Son? Look at verse 14. Tells us there pretty plainly, it's talking about the Word. That's the third, per, second person of the Trinity that's taken on flesh. Is talking about Jesus. It says we've seen His glory as of the only Son from the Father. I mean, he's the Son. Verse 18 is a little bit trickier to grasp. It says no one has ever seen God. And you sort of have to pause because it switches. The only God, they're referring to Christ, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him Known, so it says it quite explicitly that way. But then if you go back to in verses 1 through, through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. It sounds like some verbal gymnastics to us. If, it's, if you haven't looked at it in a while or if you've never read through this passage, it seems like he's going all over the place. But here's the point. Jesus is God's divine Son. And even if we say we have trouble understanding That, and this is true for lots of things about our faith, folks, you and I don't understand exactly how a sunrise works, right? But we find it beautiful and it draws us. You and I don't understand exactly how a storm moves in with force, but we understand its power, right? We can grasp. That And so John is inviting us in these verses, even if we can't understand all of the magnitude of what he's saying, to embrace this fact that Christ has been his, his divine son sent to us, that he is stooping down with mercy. And because he stoops down with mercy, a response is warranted from us. And the response is that we should find our life in him. The challenge is, right? We find our life in a lot of other things. We find life in our stuff. We find life in our success. We find life in our image, in our relationships. We even, and listen to this, church-going folk, we find life in our morality, don't we? And being really good people. And those things promise some things to us, right? They promise happiness or control or power or escape or whatever they are. We find life in many things. And the Lord is reminding us here that all those things must come under the life that we find in Christ. He is the center point, the head of our life. So as we look at these verses, I want us to think about where are we finding our life 
today because these passages remind us of three ways that we find our life in Christ. One is that he's the light. Another is that he's our adoption. And the last, that he is glory. So look with me at verses 5 through 9 and let's see how this passage tells us that we can find light in the life of Christ. Verses 5 through 9 say, The light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And it tells us about this man named John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness. What did he witness to? It says he witnessed about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. And then verse 9 tells us the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. A couple things we see here. We see a dramatic contrast, don't we? The world has light and darkness in it. And that's not just stuff that's out there, evil forces bringing darkness or particularly bad people. The scriptures tell us, in fact, that mixed up in all of our own hearts is much darkness as well. So Jesus comes to bring light into dark hearts. We have to ask ourselves today, do we believe that about ourselves as we think about the light of Christ It's not only a contrasting light here, but it's an exclusive claim about light. Look at verse 9. It says Jesus is true light, right? This isn't a message about a light in darkness. It's a message about the light. And we don't like to hear that sort of exclusive. It sounds very exclusive, like it's a special club. And what I can say is this, that Even the claim that there is no true light, that all lights are equally true, is a claim that excludes others, right? It would exclude those who believe there is a place to find true light. So Jesus does make an exclusive claim. John makes an exclusive claim about his light. And it's a personal claim as well, that that light can come in in a way that would drive out darkness in our hearts. So how today is the light of Christ bringing you comfort in your life? Maybe in dark places, in our hearts, in my hearts, in yours, where we find sin present? Maybe in dark places of just suffering and difficulty where we need encouragement to be reminded that there is goodness and hope in this life. The light can bring us comfort in that way. The light also can disturb us. We'll... uh, Look at some other verses here. John chapter 3, verse 19. You don't need to turn there, but listen to what is said there. Right after John three sixteen, it says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light. Why? Because our deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil, John says, hates the light. He won't come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. And see that it may be seen plainly what has been done through God. Folks, I've got a uh, bad left shoulder. Way back in high school, this thing started dislocating. And because of that, number of years, I won't tell you how many have gone by since high school. This thing gives me some trouble over time. And so I've got to go in and get it checked out. And I'll tell you... I. I don't like being exposed and just having a weak shoulder, not being able to do things I would like to do. And I really don't like being exposed when you go into the doctor's office and they begin to look at it and prod at it. 
And I can tell you, I'm sure when I got to get in that MRI and put on a hospital gown, I really don't like being exposed that way either. And I don't like being exposed when the doctors hold up the pictures that have been generated and can see inside of me. I don't like it. It makes me feel weak. Same is true for us spiritually, folks, in areas where the light of the gospel comes in and it doesn't feel comfortable. It makes us uncomfortable. And yet in that place is where we find healing. They can't help fix my shoulder if they don't take a good look at it. And the Lord must look at our soul deeply, must show us our soul deeply to do that work that he wants to do there as well. Will you step into that light with me today? It's a fearful thing to do, right? Maybe you're here today and it'd be the first time that you would step into that light. And so you're hearing what I'm saying about God revealing His work and His power through Christ and His message through God's Word. And you're understanding, okay, I'm beginning to grasp, even in this worship service, what it means for me to be in need of God's grace. And I get uh, uh, at least some measure of what Christ has done and making payment for that. I want to know that. Let me invite you to step into the light simply by acknowledging those things to the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you've been walking in the light for some time in your life, but if you're honest, it's kind of drifted and there's a lot more darkness, it seems, in places. These verses would remind us to come back in the light. We have a gracious Father that welcomes us to come back. We don't have to stand at a distance. He's ready to welcome us again today. Maybe you're here and you've been walking in the light and are walking in the light. And these verses are just a really good encouragement and reminder that that is an excellent place to be and to stay there and move forward with the Lord. So we can find our life in Christ because he is the light. These verses also remind us that we can find our life in him because in him is adoption for us. Look at verses 10 through 13 of these, this passage. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's just, it's just mind-boggling, folks. Listen to this. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, or the will of man, but of God. This is... Amazing, folks, that the God of the universe offers not just to sort of set us back on some neutral playing field where then we can work our way back into his full favor. No, he wipes the whole thing clean and then elevates us up to this high position of being his children that we have no right to claim to of our own. This is the mercy of God in adopting us, his grace and truth that comes to us. If our hope is in Christ today, that is where we stand. That is where we stand. And yet, as I look at my heart, and I'm sure as you look at yours, I see so much more of an orphan mentality than an adopted mentality, right? good friend of mine, Steve, is adopted. He's one of three children who were adopted around the same time at different ages, and he's told the story 
of his older brother, who had been in the orphanage longer. And because, I don't know all the reason, maybe in some way to protect the kids or maybe out of cruelty, I don't know. But what they did to manage the large number of kids they had was they actually strapped them down in the beds at night, legs and arms. So his older brother, I mean, young boy, you got energy. The only thing he could do at night was move his head, bang his head up against the side of the bed. And Steve remembers years later, miles across the whole ocean, now with his loving adopted, adoptive parents, miles away from all of this, knowing his parents' love for him, that his Steve would still wake up in the middle of the night and hear his older brother banging his head against a wall. Old habits die hard, don't they? Orphan habits die hard, don't they? These verses remind us that by God's grace, those things can be taken out of our lives. We can come to delight in the God, in the God of the universe, loving us with all our brokenness, with all our sin, because he's covered over it through what Christ has done. Indeed, and this is not intended to be a plug for my wife's Bible study, but uh, the material for this Bible study has a great little chart about the difference between an orphan mentality and an adopted uh, child's mentality, a son or daughter's mentality. And I can't go through all of them in our time, but just listen to a few of these and think about how these apply to your life and to mine. An orphan lacks vital daily intimacy with God, doesn't experience that's not vital to them. An orphan is anxious about friends, about money, about success. There's anxiety to life. An orphan, listen to this, needs to look good. An orphan needs to look good. An orphan feels at all times guilty and condemned. An orphan needs to be right. As a critical spirit, an orphan looks for satisfaction in many things other than the Lord. In contrast, a child of God is freed from fear of worry because they know the love of their heavenly father, feels genuinely forgiven and accepted, finds prayer to be a first resort, something to run to first, is freed up from trying to make a name for him or herself, is open to criticism because he or she knows the value of their life rests on Christ, not in what other people think, is content with what Christ has provided and truly finds satisfaction in the Lord. John assures us that by God's grace, we can be God's adopted children. Last thing we see in these verses, and I invite you to look at verses 14 through 18, tells us this amazing thing, which is, again, mind-boggling, that the Word, the second person of the Trinity who has existed before all time and made all of the universe, became flesh, made His dwelling among us. tells us we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then jumping with me down to verse 16, from His fullness we've all received grace upon grace. 
I had the chance last weekend to go up and do a wedding for a good buddy of mine, longtime friend, and I was officiating it. And as a pastor, of course, you go to weddings and go to wedding receptions and so forth, and that's part of the part of the job. I went to this wedding reception and I saw something that I've never seen before. Got your attention, didn't I? It's not that exciting. I saw it from a distance, and I couldn't tell exactly what it was. It was sitting on top of a table, and it must have been three feet high and a foot and a half wide. And I was drawn to it because I hadn't had anything to eat since lunch, and it was getting to be about 7 o'clock. He did one of these crazy weddings. Any of you planning weddings, don't do this where they had like three hours in between the wedding and the reception and so forth. So I was starving. Of course, I'd preached the wedding, so that takes a little bit of energy out of you. And I walked up to this thing, and I thought, what is this? It's sitting on one of the food tables. And as I got closer, I realized that it was liquid. It was liquid flowing down. It was a chocolate fountain flowing down from the top of this thing that was huge. It was massive. And here are these people bringing around these little snacks, little crackers that are about yay big, and they've got us standing right next to this fountain that apparently we're not supposed to partake of yet that's overflowing. And I thought about that picture as mundane and maybe commonplace as it is for what these verses tell us about the fullness of the glory of Christ. It is a picture of fullness overflowing, that is rich, that is delightful, that is worthy of our lives, and that is genuinely wonderful to partake of. These verses show us that God sent his divine son into the world. We can find life in him because he's light, even where he exposes us in difficult places. He's adoption for us, calls us into his family that we don't deserve. And he is fullness of glory poured out to us. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, do praise you today that you sent your Son into the world. And we ask, Lord, we know in our hearts that we don't cherish him the way we should. And we're so foolish to not find our life in him the way we should. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd move in our hearts as your word works in our lives in a way that we would be drawn up more to find our life in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.